Hello and welcome to another edition of The Sporty Ushers. This is Dave and with me as always is my co-commentator, if you will, <laughs> James Laycock. How are you, James? Uh, I'm, I'm doing well, Dave. I'm doing well. It's been a good week for sport, hasn't it? It's been a good week for sport and let's say a bad week for England in the cricket, I think, would be a good way to sum it up. Um, But we'll come to that later (laughs) on. Uh, So coming up on the Sporty Ushers podcast this evening, we'll have a quick roundup um, of the sport this week. Um, Have a look at the snooker, the crucible, uh, the boxing, uh, where Eddie Hearn put a show on in his back garden, well, in the back garden of the matchroom offices, I think it was. Um, The USPGA got underway today, so the golf majors are back uh, there's breaking news uh, surrounding Aberdeen that we'll try and cover off for you which will lead us nicely to to the football where we'll talk about uh, the first big transfer of the summer uh, the SPFL roundup of the weekend uh, we'll mop up the FA Cup and playoff finals for you um, and then a couple of other uh, UF football stories including the return of or the completion of uh, last season's uh, Europa League and Champions League which gets underway this week uh, and then if we have to I suppose uh, we will talk about the cricket um, the conclusion of the ODI series against Ireland then uh, the first two days of the first test against Pakistan um, and then the domestic season got underway uh, on uh, at, the, at the weekend there um, and if we have to we'll talk about uh, what that meant for Durham uh, <laughs> let's just say there's not going to be a lot of positivity around the cricket tonight uh, all of that and my favourite part of the show the Usher versus Usher Challenge mm-hmm. uh, so that is all coming up on tonight's episode of The Sporty Ushers Okay James so this we are recording this podcast on Thursday the 6th of August um, and something that's just a story that's just broke in the last few hours, it's been developing over the last few hours um, around dinner time tonight it came out that a first team player from Aberdeen uh, tested positive with coronavirus yes. uh, then about an hour later a second member of the Aberdeen first team squad uh, was also confirmed to have coronavirus mm-hmm. and then about an hour after that it was announced that a further six members of the squad who had been in close contact with them were ordered to self-isolate. Mm-hmm. Uh, the joint task force which is the basically the Scottish government this Scottish Football Association and the Scottish Football uh, League. Um, their joint ta- task force said that Aberdeen's upcoming game with St Johnston, which is going to be in Perth on Saturday, would go ahead as normal. So with all of those pieces of information, I read between the lines and deduced that those eight players either did something or went somewhere they weren't supposed to, because if they had gone to training, it would be the entire squad that were self-isolating. Mm-hmm. So it has since came out in the last hour, that those eight players went out to a pub in Aberdeen on Saturday night and it was the very pub that is at the very centre of the fact that Aberdeen as a city has gone back into lockdown in the last sort of 48 hours or so. Mm -hmm. So that is obviously very concerning uh, given the fact that we've just got the Scottish League started again. Um, If you bear with me, I will read the statement 
just came out from the Scottish government. Mm -hmm. And it is uh, the Scottish government is disappointed by the actions of these individuals who have put at risk the return of professional football in Scotland. This was a clear breach of the rules that were put in place by the SFA, the SPFL and the Scottish government. As this outbreak highlights, it's imperative that these strict protocols are diligently followed in order to ensure the continued safe resumption of the sport. In the light of the ongoing public health situation and the local restrictions that are in place to contain the spread of COVID-19 in Aberdeen, Minister for Public Health and Sport, Joe Fitzpatrick, has called a meeting with the SFA and the SPFL to discuss the situation at Aberdeen Football Club. Mm -hmm. Now, as a Scottish football fan, that sends alarm bells ringing for me that uh, the, and the actions of eight individuals might bring a halt to the entire Scottish football season. Um, it is just like every league in Europe get this right, um, except us. And it's just so disappointing given all the hard work that's gone in to yeah. uh, getting these guys. So the protocols put in place, mm -hmm. everything that has been put in place to give us like football is you know people might like dismiss it as being trivial or whatever but it's so important to so many people it's so many people who are struggling get hope from watching the football team play and these eight individuals have just been so unbelievably selfish um they've got a responsibility that goes beyond themselves they've got a responsibility to the club to their city and uh, I, I'm just, I, I just can't get my head around it. So as we sit right now on the 6th of August, who knows if we're going to have a sport and uh, a football card this weekend. Um, I just, I, I'm just absolutely devastated by it. I mean, obviously, we hope that the players, both players who have contracted the virus are both asymptomatic, mm -hmm. we understand. And for their own sakes, I hope that them and their families are all right. Don't get me wrong. Um, but my God, there should be some punishment in store for them when they get back to work. Uh, so, so just just to just to sort of uh, clarify this again, um, I, I I do live in Scotland. Um, Dave uh, lives in lives in England. Um, uh, so so I, I will just say that if, if people if people aren't aware, Scotland has been uh, very clear on, on its lockdown kind of advice to people. Um, that I pretty much sat in my sat in my room for three months, and and you know one of the positives came out was this podcast. But yes. uh, we, we basically a lot of a lot of people in in Edinburgh, in Glasgow, in in Aberdeen, you know, sacrificed a lot for for a long period of time. Yeah, and some of us are, are still kind of sacrificing and, and sort of isolating and and don't have sort of places of work to go back to because they're because we're sort of doing the the right thing. Yeah, keep keep ourselves, but keep keep ourselves safe. But to be honest, keep other people safe, other vulnerable people safe. Uh, yeah. and, and the Scottish government has been, say what you want about um, Nicola Sturgeon, but one thing she has been, she has been clear on, on kind of her advice. Um, yeah. There hasn't been. There's been. Scotland was slightly behind the sort of curve with the sort of the, the sort of outbreak of, of COVID, but uh, Scotland locked down at the same time as England. Um, it actually introduced um, uh, masks on public transport before it did it before we did in England, and we've had uh, we've now um, had uh, sort of wearing masks in in shops for a while now as well. Um, they they have sort of followed the thing of sort of opening pubs, but there was no kind of like. There was no kind of like fudging of the two meter rule. The two meter rule is still in place in Scotland, and yeah. uh, and for this sort of thing to happen, like like you said, the 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 kind of work that has gone into these clubs, no one, I mean, almost no one in Scotland has got any uh, Scottish football has got any money to spend, and no, the the, the, the kind of steps they've taken are are genuinely are probably going to put sort of clubs at, at risk, you know, and the, the thought that these players are sort of 
putting that at risk by by their own kind of actions. Um, and I, I understand that footballers aren't. It's we we think of it as a privileged job, but it is still just a job. And you know, these Aberdeen footballers they're not going to be millionaires. Have another couple of weeks before you go for a pint. Um, uh, it's just it's, you know the thing is that. that, that there's a strict set of rules that go beyond what's enforced on the public. Yeah. For these guys to get back and be in close quarters with each other, to be in close quarters with their opponents, mm. you know, uh, the officials, you know, this is like just such a blatant, vagrant. Yeah. I just, just, I just, I'm just angry, mate. To be honest, I mean, my own Hamilton are due to play Aberdeen in Aberdeen on Wednesday. If if I was a Hamilton player, I wouldn't want to go anywhere near that city. But then, you then do you want to go and play Aberdeen when they're ten players down? <laughs> you yeah. never know. But do you know, I think it'll be interesting, and I wouldn't be surprised at all if the Scottish government just pulled the plug on football altogether yeah. um, because they've been so strict, so clear on everything else, and uh, I wouldn't like to be one of those eight players. Yeah. Given the we hope that they're not yeah, sick absolutely. and we hope they recover and stuff but you know I wouldn't want to be them because the backlash they're going to get at every ground they go to in the future is going to be yeah. absolutely horrendous absolutely. You know? and, and, and one of the things that I've, I've kind of been asking oh, what's it like up in Scotland on the lockdown and basically the, the, the easiest kind of thing until sort of last weekend the easiest kind of thing to say was that there's no plans at the minute to have introduce sort of spectators back into sort of into sort of sporting events or in, that isn't yeah. thing they're con- even considering at the minute now yeah. the actual sort of progression of the virus is probably you know they probably could sort of start making those kind of decisions but they've, they've not even like scotland aren't even sort of considering that until sort of other things that have been put in place and the schools go back earlier in scotland so there, there are sort of certain logistical things to sort of deal with but but there is i just want to make it really clear that there is there is no doubt that these players knew what they were doing is yeah 100 percent um, there's, there's no doubt that this isn't, and this isn't, yeah, you know, the, the, if, you, if you think about what people like Jack Grealish and uh, uh, Kyle Cal, Walker and all that did, yeah. As well, Mason Mount and Declan Rice had a kick around, had a kick about, you know, in a park, uh, you know, th- th- those are all young players, well, m- mostly kind of young players who, you know, were a bit daft. And, and yeah, and they, they weren't back at the clubs and anything like that, they were just being, risk, yeah. This is a, this is a ridiculous kind of like, uh, risk to take anyway, and it's, I hope they enjoyed the pints because it'll be the last ones that they have for a yeah for I a think while, right. and it'll be the last time they can yeah. go drinking in Aberdeen for a while as well. If uh, no, definitely, definitely. Another couple of months. Okay, well, on that sour note, we'll move on to the actual sport. Yes. Um, and you know, I was never the biggest fan of Aberdeen anyway, um, and this is just sort of sour me on them even more. But um, so the. World Championships are back in the snooker. So the yes. initial plan was to have fans in a limited capacity. Yeah. Uh, that only lasted one day. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, with uh, Greater Manchester and uh, Oldham and other areas going into lockdown, that has changed. And since Friday, the fans were gone and it was uh, played behind closed doors. Yeah. Um, I think uh, you've seen some of the lesser names a couple of shocks yeah. um sean murphy went out mm-hmm. um uh someone else went out. john higgins has just gone out today yeah. to kurt mafflin and stuff mm-hmm. where is it was similar when when i was watching the match play darts last week the, the sort of um like lesser known players or yeah. the the lower ranked players seem to be dealing with it better because they they don't have the pressure of the crowd and stuff so you see more kind of upsets but i think the standard for the snooker has been has been really good yeah. um I, th- I don't know how much you've watched of it, James, but I think the yeah. the game that stands out to me um, was Anthony McGill against uh, Jack Lazowski, which went the distance. Um, and it was just thrilling. You like McGill was nine six up, and Lazowski pushed him back, and mm. um, I think it was just 
just really I, I always I always love snooker and I think once you get tuned into a tournament early, yeah, then you're just you're with it for the rest yeah. of it, aren't you? And, um, yeah, so, so we, we we've kind of mentioned it in the past and I was like, Oh, you know, I'm um I've watched it in the past, but I'm I'm not particularly interested. I I, I was uh, I, I didn't see any any of the, the sort of Friday play which had the crowd in, but then on Saturday I sat and watched uh, a good couple of games. Um uh, John Higgins against uh, Matt Stevens. Oh yes, that was uh, Matt, Matt, sorry Matthew Stevens. I think Matt Stevens is the rugby player, isn't it? Uh, Matthew. Yes, Stevens. yes, yeah. And uh, so apart from the original, that, that sort of thing of what year is it, <laughs> which is sort of hard to keep track of anyway. But watching sort of two players who've been sort of like around the game for sort of fifteen years, even they were kind of struggling to to adapt to the the kind of thing. And and, and I, there's one thing I want to say about Matthew Stevens is uh, there's a certain, a certain age in, in sort of like in, in men's life when maybe the, the sort of like their sort of boyish good looks start to start to fade and um, you decide to grow a beard. You know, I think um, that's definitely a choice that I've made over the last couple of years. And, um, I don't know what I, I'm sure I don't know what you mean, James. As I stroke, as I stroke my own beard, <laughs> and part of me just think so. So John Higgins, you know, he's been. Uh, I think 1995 was the last time. Or was the first time he won the the world. This is his 20, 26th consecutive yeah. appearance at the Festival um, so, this year. So obviously, he, he's a, he's a he's a slightly older gentleman now, but but you know, he he looks okay for his age. Um, uh, Matthew Stevens though has still got the still got the kind of the gelled hair. And he's still got the um, the kind of look of like he's still dressing like well he, he still does his hair like he's um sort of fifteen years old younger than he is maybe yes his, his, his baby face is just starting to um just starting to uh starting to, to show a few, few lines so um I, 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 so if I can make a prediction of snooker it'll be that maybe Matthew Stevens will will grow a beard over the next uh, next eighteen months that's something to look out for. If he, if he turns off with a beard, then you know you'll get your money back. <laughs> yeah. um, so I think I think the snooker is definitely something that um, mm-hmm. that it, that works without a crowd because yeah. you know I think it's even because the players can concentrate more because mm-hmm. people aren't coughing and their phones mm-hmm. aren't going off and everything. Although there was one um, one moment in uh, uh, the Australian fella whose name is escaping me at the minute. Yeah. Um, he was he was playing there was a noise in the in the, the auditorium from somewhere and he's like where what, there's nobody here where is where is that yeah. coming um so that that was quite interesting but i think uh i think i quite met we, we mentioned o'sullivan last week and oh, yeah. he, he won in, in 108 minutes yeah he yeah. beat uh he beat the boy 10-1 yeah. um which is just he's just when he's on it he, it's like it's just brilliant watching a genius in any sport yeah. like Clyde or trade. So, um, so that'll be on a, so that's just at the second round stage, as I say yeah. tonight. Yeah. Uh, John Higgins, so Kurt Mafflin became the first person through to the quarterfinals. Um, one thing that I did find quite interesting. Now, I'm not uh, beyond the big pay per views. Um, I'm not the biggest boxing fan in the world. <laughs> um, I know you are a boxing fan, as is my younger brother. So I was, I was up, actually visited my parents last week, um, and. Alan put the boxing on, and I'm like, what on earth is this? And Eddie Hearn, who is the uh, Matchroom Boxing's sort of impresario, uh, like looks after Anthony Joshua and most of the sort of British stable of boxers, um, has put on a boxing show in, well, it says in his back garden, but it's in the back garden of the Matchroom offices. And um, So I think they can only put on five fights. Mm -hmm. Um, Obviously, there's like nobody around, and it's all very kind of quiet and everything. and uh, so my brother put that on and sort of made me and my dad sit and watch it with him. Um, and I found myself at first being a bit kind of, oh, I can't really be bothered with this. I have no idea who any of these people are. Yeah. Um, but by the uh, but by the 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 main event, which uh, was Ted Cheeseman versus Sam 
Eggington, yeah, yeah. Um, or egg and cheese, as it was, <laughs> yeah. uh, as as it was, uh, Bill. I was like, "What on earth am I watching?" By the end of it, I was I could hardly stay in my seat, yeah. man. It was absolutely thrilling. So, do you want to fill us in a little bit on the sort of Eddie Hearn and what he's doing and why he's doing it and stuff? Yes. Yeah, so, um, so basically, uh, Eddie Hearn is the uh, he was a new new kid on the block who kind of came in and he's basically signed up all the best kind of boxers in uh, in Britain and uh, is basically the. Basically, the, 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 the basic rules boxing uh, matchroom matchroom promotions kind of rule the the kind of boxing uh, British boxing scene anyway. Um, they're looking to expand it to America, so so everything is kind of like everything was kind of going sort of full full uh, full steam ahead. That they were the sort of people behind Anthony Joshua, so they've kind of ridden his coattails a little bit. But they've had they've got other champions sort of like on their on their kind of uh, on their books as well. Um, however, this is kind of like they, they had plans for sort of. a a whole summer of fights have basically been uh, basically been stopped. Uh, basically, just haven't happened. So to kind of like keep to either restart or to keep the the kind of boxers going. Um, the Eddie Hearn's basically, like you said, he's he's basically built a ring in, in behind his his officers. Um, and the idea is that boxers basically come come down for the the stay basically for two weeks in a hotel nearby. Um, they train in the hotel in sort of like a, a bubble, if you can sort of imagine that. Um, they kind of become a bubble with like the, the little team that they've got, the training team. Um, and then they on the on the night they, uh, they they come to the arena, have to have a, a swab test done. There's a picture of one of the guys in the undercard having his swab test done by a security guard who he, he just was like a, a random random member of the public rather than it being a, a guy who's about to sort of box for box box on a on a pay per view card. Um, but then, but then, yeah, he's, he's basically put these sort of fights on, and the 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 all the referees are wearing gloves and uh, uh, masks. Uh, all the corner men are wearing, well, I think it's up to them, but they are all wearing PPE. So some of them are wearing like visors or like full face visors and everything. So it's it's a bit surreal. But they've got a kind of a nice mix of uh, they've really chosen the fights kind of quite well. They all kind of went, they all kind of pretty decent. And and uh, sort of Cheeseman against Eggington is sort of two boxers who've kind of like been around. A little bit. Cheeseman was kind of like on the verge of stepping up from British level uh, a few years ago, and he suffered a few defeats. But he's, he's he's kind of like he had that hunger to kind of get back, and that's kind of what I think what won him the match um, was just that. Or won him the fight was just that little bit of extra hunger that just 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 pushed him over. They both had, I think, I think Ancients had six or seven defeats, and uh, Cheeseman had a couple a couple last year that kind of derailed him a little bit. But this is a this really really kind of got his career or could get his career kind of going. And so there's been sort of so much talk about getting sort of certain sports going, and people talk about the money kind of aspect. One thing about boxing that people do not realise is even the most so so take like literally take Anthony Joshua and um, and Tyson Fury out of the kind of the conversation. No other British boxer makes a lot of money from from boxing and um, even the people who get paid say say a million pounds for a, a fight which i think apart from that too is probably the most that any other boxer could kind of look to be making in in sort of britain at the minute even if they make a million pounds from a fight a big chunk of that goes straight to the taxman anyway but you're talking yeah. genuinely you are talking if you want world-class kind of training you're talking like 150 200 grand will have to go to sort of putting together a proper a proper sort of sparring team and a, a proper training team and 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 getting people over to spar with you and everything. It, it costs a lot of money to be a, a world class or even even sort of European class boxer. Um, so so if as you kind of go down the card, if um if you, if you don't fight, you don't have any income at all. You 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 might be able to make yeah. a couple of hundred quid by going and sparring with someone, but that that's the only money you can make. So so when sort of Eddie Hearn. Is looking to put these sort of fights on in, in his back in his back garden. If we, if we just as, as a shorthand for it, is is to is is to do that. He is basically doing it. <laughs> Obviously, he's making money off it, but of course, yes, yeah. And, but I, I, I doubt he'll be sort of doing more than breaking break even. But but for like 
achievement. And even for Eggington, uh, Sam Eggington, even though we lost, he would rather that that fight is is probably if he hadn't had that fight, he wouldn't. Neither of them would have had any income this year at all. So, so that's why yeah. these fights kind of have to happen. And um, and there is a, there's a sort of slightly surreal. Like we we mentioned it with the snook with no one there. And um, there is I've, I've been to a few um, sort of boxing matches where oh, boxing cards where um, uh, Michael Hunter was a, a Hartlepool-based boxer, and I saw some of his sort of what went to see some of his European title fights, and and there'd be fights on the undercard with no one there. And watching boxing where you can hear the thud of each kind of punch um, is is really is really it shows you the real brutality of the. And everyone on a on a intellectual level, you do know that obviously boxing is a, a very tough sport. But when you see like the little short punches that really dig into someone's ribs, um, and you just hear the thud, and there's no reaction, there's not a commentator screaming how great it is. And I think that kind of these kind of events are really gonna are really gonna um, sort of help to. I, th- I think I, th- I do think it's, it's good for sport. I think it's good for the sport. I don't think it's a long-term solution at all. And it'll be great to get back to you know uh, all the stuff that I kind of used to hate, like people chanting before matches. And uh, I remember watching Ricky Hatton once, and there was, it was such a really tense atmosphere. And then everyone starts doing a Mexican wave, and everyone's having fun. I'm like, no, no, this is this is meant. This is- uh, it's serious, sir. Um, yeah. So this this is going to go on. That that was week one. So he's going to do four of these shows. That's going to culminate with. Um, White versus yeah. Povetkin, which is probably the biggest. I mean, ah, that that would, if it probably would have been on pay per view yes. if yeah. if uh, under normal circumstances. But uh, it's quite good that that level of a fight is going to yeah. be part of this. I yeah. know there's a quite a big uh, women's uh, bout as well coming up yeah, next week. Um, yes, that's right. Um, so it's uh, do you know any, like what I'm I'm just kind of devouring any kind of uh, live sport, which is a, a bit of a, a kind of trope on these oh, podcasts. Yeah, what's on my te- what's on my telly as I'm uh, as I'm recording this, and right now I'm watching the USPGA. Um, so uh, my uh, I'm I have bet on Bryson Dushambo, um, and he has just sunk apart right now, which is quite nice. But uh, we'll come and talk about that in a minute. But I think I'm just devouring any oh, kind yeah, of yeah. live sport. So um, looking forward to seeing what uh, Matchroom has in yeah, store for us on Saturday. Um, as I, say, I mentioned, I'm watching the golf, and uh, that's what we're going on yeah. to next. So, um, the I say the golf has been back for a few weeks, but this is the first major mm-hmm. since lockdown, um, and the field is packed, absolutely mm-hmm. packed. Um, so, uh, are you a golf fan? Oh, yeah. Is that something you would wear your ways? Or I don't follow it as much as I would like to. And that there are occasionally there are sort of championships where. Uh, to some like um, who's the US PGA title? It's, it's Brooks um, Kopka, isn't it? Is Brooks Kopka? Yeah. Older, older. He's going for his third title. Yeah, wins. yeah, yeah. Because yeah, yeah. you know, I remember. You know, I think I might have last year when he won it for the second time. I might have said to him, "This feels like it's going to be an answer to a trivia question sometime, a pub trivia yeah. question that you know, you know, who was who was the last person to win two, you know, majors in a row, sort of thing." Um, but, but I'm I'm a little sucker for people like a. Uh, like Justin Rose is just someone who, even though it yeah. was how long ago was it that he sort of formed really well as an amateur, I still look out for him. His kind of scores and and I've, it, I think it's, it's one of the few sports where you can not follow it, even if even if you're not following it, it it quite regularly. And then all of a sudden you you just want to see British or English or British or European people all of a sudden doing well, don't? Um, yeah, 
hundred percent. So look, you're looking at so you've got the world. You're number one, yeah. uh, Justin yeah. Thomas, who is uh, and there. Brooks Koepka is obviously one of the favourites. Um, Tiger Woods, you know, I have my issues with Tiger Woods and um, the way everyone just seems to kiss his backside and just seem to you know, forget that he's actually quite a horrible human. You know, so you know, but, watching uh, the Last Dance with Michael Jordan, it gave me sort of sort of a, a little bit of an insight of what what it must be like for Tiger Woods to be a cricketer, to be to be a cricketer, to be a golfer. Yeah, well, that, that would be interesting. Just, just, just imagine, like, imagine that as kind of like when no one else cares about any other golfers, but also you've got this level of speed. Yeah. So, so, so I do kind of see where Tiger Woods is. I can see why that that sort of pressure might sort of make you develop issues. Again, not that I'm excusing anything he did at all, but you know, the, if, if you're looking at a, from a British, you probably um, you've got Rory, obviously yeah. number three in the world. Um, Tommy Fleetwood's yeah. there, Justin Rose, um, and then John Ram, all these uh, Spanish, probably he's second yeah. in the world. Yeah. So there's a few European hopes out there. And I just want to highlight the fact that uh, what the probably the group to watch, um, about to hopefully come on now, is a uh, Tiger Woods, Rory McIlroy, and Justin Thomas are all playing yeah. together for the next two days. So that'll be really interesting to watch. I mean, I I do enjoy golf when I sit down and watch it, but I think. Unless it's one of the majors, or I think the Ryder Cup is one of my favourite weekends of the year. I, like, I absolutely love Ryder Cup. Um, but uh, it's just good to have live sport back. And uh, I think I will, uh, I'm will. i off work tomorrow, so I will be staying up with the golf tonight, I think. so. Okay, so that brings us to the end of our sort of sporting roundup. And it leads us nicely into my favourite part of the podcast, James. And that is the Usher versus Usher yes. Challenge. Usher versus Usher Challenge. So uh, you triumphed yeah. last week um, with England's uh, squad when they demolished Germany 5-1. Yes. And uh, I, well, the wheels came off yeah. me when uh, I think it was Georgia, Scotland versus Georgia from yeah. 2015, yeah. I think it was. Um, I've gone a little bit harder mm-hmm. for you this week. Um, I'm going to take you back to June 27th, 2016. Okay. Uh, the, the the second round of Euro 2016 at the Allianz Riviera in Nice. <laughs> uh, the match was England 1, Iceland 2. Um, and uh, if, if you could uh, rhyme off the starting 11 and three substitutes, the rules obviously you get one life. So uh, that is what I have for you. What <laughs> for and me? I, I I was working that night again. I'm going to get that excuse in. It's just not uh-huh. generic excuse, uh-huh. isn't it? Now, um, I, yeah, I was working that night, and um, uh, I remember uh, I remember the first goal, and then going away, and then being really shocked at what what had so happened. <laughs> um, yeah, so 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 I went. Um, I, I went. So you've gone very modern this week. Uh, I went quite modern. 2015, sort of last year. I've gone. And hopefully this is okay. I've gone right to the very, very limit, going backwards. Okay. Um, oh, right, okay. 18th of June, 1992. If that's okay. We're, talk- okay. Yeah, we're yeah. talking Scotland versus the CIS, which is one of the very first matches that I remember watching anyway. Um, and yeah, and it's the the last game of Scotland oh. in the group stages of a, of Euro 92, one of the forgotten tournaments. Right, 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 right. Okay. And uh, there were... Sort of, um, so the eleven players, and there were two. Uh, yeah, there were two subs that came on as well. Right. Okay. Okay. 
Scotland versus the CIA. Okay, now I am very, I am lucky. It's not too bad because I did watch this game during lockdown. Um, I did watch quite. I watched a lot of games during lockdown, so I'm going to be at the very limit of my. uh, But I'm going to give it a go. So I think we decided it's winner stays on. So you get to go. I'll be going. Yeah. Yeah. So um, in your own time. Yes. Yeah. Uh, So here we go. Twenty sixteen, uh, and I think I do think he scored. It was, uh, it was, um, oh, was it? It was Wayne Rooney. Wayne Rooney scored a penalty after four minutes. Correct. Yeah. Yes. So I'm sticking with penalty takers, and I'm going to go with Gary McAllister, who scored the third goal. He did. Yes. Um, I'm going to uh, return to a subject that has treated me so well in the past. I'm going to go goalkeepers. Uh, yeah. And I am sure that this one, I'm pretty certain this one is the one that did kill someone's in national career, pretty much. Um, Joe Hart. Joe Hart is correct. Uh, I'm going to stick with goal scorers and go with the person who scored the first ever goal for Scotland at a European finals because that was our first appearance. Uh, and with Paul McStay. Paul McStay, yes, correct. Um, oh, did he did he start or did he come off the bench? Uh, Harry Kane. Harry Kane started, correct. Yes. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to go with the third goal scorer. Uh, it would be Brian McClare. Yes. Oh, yes, he did score. Yeah. Um, uh, so uh, we had in centre midfield. Oh, it was one. It was uh, Gareth Barry. Uh, nope, Gareth Barry was not playing. So your first life is gone. 2014. Oh yeah. Jeez. Okay. Uh, okay. I'm going to go with race. This was '92, so it was after the World Cup in 1990. So I think Andy Gorham. Yes, Andy Gorham was in goal. Yes. Um, oh wow. I really, I really. Um, so Harry Cadori, 26 to Gerard. Oh man. Um, uh, Vardy was only on the bench. Was it? Oh, it was. He played. Uh, Gary Cahill. Gary Cahill played. Yeah. Uh, Ali McCoist. Ali McCoist, yeah. Uh, wearing the number five shirt, isn't he? What? Yeah. Um, so who else have we got? Wait, who would have been? Oh, come on, James. You can do better than this. Uh, whew, I'm really, I'm drawing absolute blank. Um, also, I, I, I think he came off the bench. Or did he? St- I'll say, I'll say Jamie Vardy. Jamie Vardy came off the bench. You are correct. So you get another goal. Yeah, that was just a. Place. Is that a place fill or was? Yeah. Um, I reckon Sturridge. Come on, who would have played playing different twenty? Right, but why can I not think of any? Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, um, oh, John Henderson. Uh, Jordan Henderson is incorrect. Oh no! Oh. Yeah. Oh, well. um, so for the win, I'm going to go with Richard Goff. Richard Goff was captain on the night, playing centre back. <sighs> Number two shirt. Congratulations, Dave. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you very much. Uh, so, do you want the full England eleven? Uh, yes, I do. Yeah, yeah, please. So you had uh, Joe, Joe Hart and goal, uh, Gary Hayhill and Danny Rose, um, with Chris Smalling and Kyle Walker making Kyle up Walker. your back four. Yeah. Uh, Eric Dyer, uh, oh, yes. Delhi Ali. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're going to kick yourself in a minute. Uh, Raheem Sterling. Yeah. Uh, Harry Kane, Wayne Rooney, and Daniel Sturridge. Oh no way! <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because no I remember, I do remember, like he was, he was our main striker, wasn't he? Well, oh, sorry, he was England's main striker at one point. Yeah, he was, but only for a very short period in the. So in the post- he, played, he was playing really well because he was, he was banging the goals in with Liverpool. when he was playing with Suarez at Liverpool. Yeah, um, yeah. So disappointing. Okay. So give us. A, in fact, let me guess. Oh, can I? Can I oh, guess? Yeah. yeah. Can I guess Tom Boyd? Yes, left back. Yeah. Um, 
Kevin Gallagher? Yes, he was the other striker, yeah. Stuart McKemmy at left back. Yes. Wearing the number n- so wearing the number nine shirt. That doesn't make any sense. Right back, apparently. Uh, I think I'm right now. I, th- I think you've got a stand-up. Pat Nevin. Pat Nevin. He came off the bench. Right. Probably for Kevin Gallagher, I imagine. Right. I watched this game about six weeks ago. I'm missing a centre-half and I'm missing a so, midfielder, probably. It, it's oh, Stuart McCall. Stuart McCall. Yes, yeah. So he's in left midfield, but he wasn't... He was a centre midfielder, wasn't he, for... I don't know. I'd be if Miller and McLeish. Would, it's too late for them. He's got. He's um, got if, if you if you take the first part of your name and the first part of your surname, you've got most of it. Oh, Dave McPherson. Yes, that's it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Excellent. That, that's it, isn't it? That's it. That's everyone. Yeah. So oh, fantastic. Is the sub came on Jim McAnally. Oh, I'm glad he didn't start. That would have been uh, <laughs> outstanding. Yeah, I'm so glad. I'm so glad I watched that. Yeah. Excellent. So that is that for our, so that is two all, I think, now, yeah. isn't it? For those keeping score. So see what we can come up with next week. Um so yes, yeah, so that is it for another week, the Usher versus Usher Challenge. So have have you uh, have you got it yet, Dave? Uh yeah, yeah, I've got it. I've got it today. What, uh, yeah, uh, see don't, don't worry, it's just a little gift from me to you. Just say thank you for, for everything that we we've been doing together recently. Oh, that is that is too nice of you, Dave. Uh, okay. Um, thanks. I suppose. What? 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 Uh, what? Disturbing, isn't it, Dave? <laughs> um, yeah, well, yes. It is, it's, it's a special handmade gift from the Spookatorium. The the, the uh, what? The Spookatorium. Uh, it, it's on Etsy. It's a, basically it's a local Edinburgh artist who um, he creates grotesques from everyday items. It's all upcycled, so you know that uh, you know it's good for the environment as well. Uh, okay. <laughs> and, and Dave. Yeah. Don't have nightmares. <laughs> okay, so moving on to football. Um, so obviously the first big transfer of the summer, James, was announced yes. today, I believe, or yesterday. Yeah, yeah. And it's that Manchester City have splashed in excess of forty million pounds yes. on Bournemouth's Nathan Ake. Yeah. So and that sounds a lot, right? But when you think that Harry Maguire went for eighty million, yeah, is it really that much? The, the current sort of I don't I don't think so. And I, th- I do think that um, obviously obviously their situation's changed now. But I seem to remember that that sort of Bournemouth were quoting a similar price to Leicester for Nathan Ake last season when sort of Leicester were looking around to to replace uh, sort of Harry Maguire. And I do think there was a sort of a talk of a a, a transfer that was somewhere similar to. Sort of what what Maguire had gone to. Um, to be honest, I, I do quite quite like uh, Nathan Aki. Obviously, it's not really worked out for him very well this season. But there was a, of all the sort of Chelsea players that were going out on loan, he seems to be the one who's kind of like made a pretty good fist of sort of building and sort of becoming a professional player, uh, sort yeah. of like a standard like player. So I'm 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 good. I'm glad to see him sort of su- succeed in his career. The and I think if you look at who else, um, uh, Fran Torres that Man City signed as well for sort of twenty million. I yeah. think they are adding bodies to the to the team rather than particularly um, building a stronger first team. Um, because if, if you think, I, I read a stat that um, after, I think it was after the Norwich defeat, um, John Stones and, and uh, Otamendi didn't play together again until like July, until the sort of season was almost done and dusted. And that was with uh, Laporte being out injured for 
for most of the time. So I think I think we know that he doesn't rate either of them two. So I think um, as well, like what you were saying about building a squad, I think one of the, the main things is they, they've got so many players out on loan and everything that he was like really struggling earlier in the season. And you're like, how is a team with your budget not have enough players? And I think he's obviously addressing that that balance. And you know they're they're, they're going to lose. Um, David Silva, which we lamented at great length about last week, and um, yeah, so I think their their defence definitely needs shoring up. And uh, good luck to Nathan Aki because I, I like him as well. I mean, like there's very few uh, modern footballers that can pull off the sideshow Bob uh, haircut, and uh, he he does it with with great aplomb. Yeah, and I, I do think um, uh, Eric Garcia, um, who looked a decent player in the uh, sort of, in yes. the, of the Man City post lockdown, anyway. Um, he seems to be one. He seems to want a way to to Barcelona, back to Barcelona, or, or at least I think it's enough. Yeah, it's, I think he came out today that he doesn't want to sign a new contract yeah. and stuff like that, isn't it? So. Yeah, it's a shame for like you know because you do want to see um, sort of players develop in the in the English Premier League, even if they're not English players. Um, but uh, yeah, but but if you know if uh, I think I think it's good for Nathan Mackey. I think it'd probably be good for for um, Man City and you know Bournemouth lo- looking to start rebuilding in a post Eddie Howe kind of. Uh, Kind of time have got forty yeah. million pounds to help balance the books, and maybe Absolutely. that maybe that one sale means that you know they can hang on to a David Brooks or a or a Callum Wilson or a Joshua King that you know might help them come back up next season. You know, you never know what what your sort of financials look like when you drop out of the Premier League. So you know, it, it, could, be, it could be to be honest, it could be good business all around. I don't think Man City have particularly overpaid for him. The forty I million thought, pounds a lot, but I think in the, not in the current market, not in the current yeah. market. But. So yes, yeah, so I think he's, he's he's just turned twenty five, so he's not. He's not particularly a youngster anymore, but he's got a, a good couple of seasons of sort of. of and he, he definitely had a lot of work to do in that in that um, Bournemouth, uh, the way the yeah. Bournemouth set up with the pretty much no cover for the back four, and even the fullbacks bombing on all the time. So I think he's he's probably used to sort of playing a very attacking attacking team. So maybe that'll 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 stand him in good stead to move to Man City. Uh, yeah, so, I think good luck to all of them. Really good bit of business, definitely. So a couple of other sort of transfer stories where. Uh, Alexis Sanchez has completed his move to Inter Milan on a permanent basis. Mm. Good riddance to him. I think he was like an absolute nightmare when he went to Man United. So that kind of opens the door for Man United to get Jadon Sancho in, hopefully, because it would be lovely to see him playing in the Premier League. Um, And Arsenal reportedly have just taken on Willian from Chelsea. for a hundred thousand pounds a week, which is, I'm sure, music to the ears of the fifty-five people that Arsenal made redundant. Yeah. Um, so just the optics of of that announcement, given that they've just made all those people redundant, is just mm-hmm. it's like it, it's almost like the Trump White House, you know, yeah. and the sort of like how that's been bungled. Um, but I say I, I get that coronavirus has you know hit every business and stuff. But to let a bunch of people go and then have Mesut Ozil sitting on his backside at three hundred and fifty thousand pounds a week, um, I'm sure it, it, it's not the best for a club like Arsenal who should really know better. You would have thought. Um, so, uh, moving on, just before we get into the actual football, it was uh, announced yesterday that Wigan have lost their appeal against the point deduction, so they will be playing in League One next season, um, and Barnsley will survive, which is kind of good given the... F- I mean, it's harsh on Wigan, but those last two results that Barnsley got against uh, Brentford and Nottingham Forest yeah. that, that was the stuff fairy tales are made of and if, if that meant they went down it would have been heartbreaking so Barnsley will play in the championship next season we're going to play in League One um, so before we go on to 
ahead at the return of the Champions League. Uh, just a look back over the weekend. Obviously, the SPFL came back, so just a, a kind of quick roundup there. The very first game, Rangers up to Aberdeen post-coronavirus scandal uh, and put in a very kind of sort of pedestrian 1-0 performance um, to which Steven Gerrard came out after the game and said that he put a marker down. Um, I, I don't know what marker they put down other than their ability to win ugly because they were quite unimpressive. Mm. Um, in contrast to that would be Celtic who played my team, Hamilton, on the Sunday and were just blistering. Um, now, we, they beat Hamilton 5-1 um, and to say the scoreline flattered Celtic isn't really true, um, but Hamilton weren't as bad as a 5-1 scoreline would suggest. Um, the only thing I would say is that every time Celtic got the ball in the wide areas, um, whether it be Greg Taylor at left-back or Jermaine Frimpong at right-back, they just looked a handful. Mm-hmm. And you know, and Hamilton got a lot of stick for that result, but Celtic will score five goals against pretty much every team in that league at some point this season. They just look they looked as if they hadn't missed a step. Mm-hmm. Um so, so that'll be interesting. I think I think that that kind of performance this I was gonna say this early on the first game of the season look the strikers looking Edouard he got a hat trick, didn't he? Did he, he did, yes. He? He did. Quite, a, quite a quick one as well. Um, I think strikers being in that, and you're attacking sort of unit, working that quick, that working together that quickly, that well. I think that does, that does kind of bode well to the potential sort of European matches, that the early kind of season matches that yeah. I'm could trip teams up. I think, you know, I think Celtic will be happy that, you know, go, at least it seems like it's taking away that excuse of. of yeah, definitely. Definitely. They've kind of shown that, to be honest, they've kind of shown that they, they are ready already, to be honest. Yeah, so I mean, just mopping up the rest of the results. Hibernian, who Alan and I tipped last week to be the kind of third yeah. place team, they had a good 2 1 win against Kilmarnock. Uh, New Boys Dundee United drew 1 1 with St Johnston, um, which is a game that I watched. We streamed that. Uh, through the new sort of club sort of pay-per-view games, which um, I think across the board for the first five minutes, all the matches were uh, in Gaelic, which was interesting. Um, but as I say, Dundee United, they they don't look as if they're going to pull up trees in this division. Then St Mirren, who are going to be one of the sort of relegation candidates, they got a really good 1-0 win against Livingston, which are obviously a, a tough team to beat. But the, probably the shock of the weekend um, was that uh, Ross County, which Alan and I both picked as relegation fodder had a great 1-0 win against Motherwell um, who performed extremely well last season so as I say it's very early and it's the first games back but it was just so nice I mean I watched I watched Rangers versus Aberdeen then I watched Dundee United against Johnston Celtic against Hamilton and then Ross County against Motherwell so I managed to watch four of the six games across the weekend which was which was fantastic and given the fact that I live down in England the fact that I can watch every single Hamilton Aki's match I mean, I have to pay, obviously, which I am fine with. But uh, the fact that I'll have access to that is, is is just really good for a fan who's displaced. Obviously, the situation isn't ideal, but uh, I'm certainly going to make the best of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, FA Cup final, James. Yes. Um, fantastic game, wasn't it? It, re- it really was. Yeah. Um, I think. Uh, I think Pulisic going off injured was the was the real turning point. It kind of like oh, just how gutted did he sound? Walking yeah. away. Oh, it was just heartbreaking, yeah, wasn't it? He wasn't. He he kind of, and it was it was kind of when he kind of drifted out of the game in the first half that Chelsea kind of lost their way. Um, and then uh, someone I know you're a very very big fan of. Uh, he really yes. stepped up, didn't he? Uh, he did. He did. So again, there was rumours today that he's going to be signing a new contract, 150 grand a week. Again, which will be music to the ears of those 55 people who were made redundant. But um, but no, I I think big games need big players. 
Yeah. Um, and I think Chelsea have had, we mentioned this last week, but Chelsea have had a wonderful season oh, yeah. given that they haven't been able to sign anybody. I think their young boys have, have done really well. They've been fantastic when they've, they clinched Champions League play for our next season. Yeah, and the signings but, as well. The signings yeah. they could really, um, sort of Timo Werner and uh, another couple could really um, step them up into the, maybe not challenge them, but you, you do think they'll be a strong. They'll be better season, won't they? Yeah. Um, and I think just Aubameyang just, Sean again. I mean that that the second goal, you know, is composure and just yeah. he's just a wonderful, wonderful player. And you just like to see the big players turn up at the big games. And he made a bit of an arse for picking up the trophy, though. That was quite funny, didn't he? But uh, the 2019-20 season was completed on Tuesday night yeah. with uh, the playoff final. Um, again, did you watch? Did you watch the playoff final? And I, I listened to it in the car because I, I was driving up to Edinburgh at the time. It was. I was working, but I kind of watched watched the highlights when I yeah. when I got home. But yeah. um, from talking to Alan, um, it was poor. Yeah. Um, and I think like the the goal from the first goal was just unbelievable. And yeah. like what I just love like when Scott Parker's who was a player I was a massive fan of when he when he played. Um, he was not the most spectacular player in the world, but he was just one of those guys who just ran through walls for whoever it was he was playing with. And um, to see the emotion on his face when he was talking about what it's going to be like to, play, to go back to the Premier League, yeah. but also when he basically called the boy over, didn't he? And he's like, yeah. you saw him talk to him before he hit the free kick and he's like, how much did you play? And he's like, yeah, I told him to do it. Okay. <laughs> you know, it was just like, we, we know that this keeper is aggressive and he stands and he does yeah. this, yeah. just watch for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, he says he tried it a couple of games ago and it went into the stands, but yeah. uh, he said it was just, uh, just, I love that kind of emotion. I mean, I feel bad Brentford. Yeah. Um, I think that the run they went on, they just kind of ran out of steam a little bit, didn't they? Yeah. But, um, uh, I, th- I think you said a big player stepping up, and I think there was a case of the f- kind of fear kind of took hold of. It was like there was, there was a spell a few years ago of FA Cup finals that were that were all very very tense, weren't there? And there was one yeah. wins and two one wins, and there was never there was no free flow football um, for a good couple of years. And then it seems like the same sort of thing, and it's happened in the last few. Uh, it's happened in quite a few of the uh, these kind of playoff games as well. Um, it just unless there's an early goal, you do end up with kind of quite almost stalemates. And it went on and on, and it was it went into added time, and then into extra time, and eventually it, t- it took a bit of magic, didn't it? A bit of inspiration to uh, to sort of change the course of the game, and and then there was a uh, Ben Rama, yeah, the um, the the and, and Watkins. So Watkins didn't really get a sniff for Brentford, and uh, Ben Rama he had a couple of free kicks, and he put them into the he, he, he hit the first defender two many times, and that, that and two months that was the difference. Was yeah. just that little bit of magic that kind of that that won won the match. Well, it, he, he, scored, he ended up scoring. He's only scored one. He scored one goal all season. He ended up scoring twice in the in the biggest game. But especially his interview at the end as well, when, when someone said, "Oh, like how do you? Where did you find the energy to be up that end of the park?" And he's like, "Well, all I've done during lockdown is run. Yeah. So I'm I'm, yeah. I'm quite fit, you know." And it was it's just love that honesty, and you know, I I, I, I like Fulham as a team, and uh, I went to Craven Cottage. When I when I lived there, and it's like a really lovely old ground, and yes, yeah. um, I hope they make a better fest of it this year because they were really kind of they, they went the money route last time round, didn't they? But I think with Parker in there, I think we'll have a bit of, we'll have a bit more about them. I still think we'll struggle next season, but it's good to have them back. Although I am gutted for Brentford, though I have yeah, to say, yeah. just yeah, just for you know, we, we've talked about you know the biggest game in a in English football 
um, the biggest game in the in English non-league, which is which is where all the real football fans um, really want to know about. Um, Harrogate sort of secured promotion out of the uh, out of the National League and in, in League Two, um, and that's just that's just a remarkable job that Harrogate have done. Um, I am not jealous at all as a Hartlepool United fan to see. Um, no, I imagine I imagine uh, it's quite nice to get teams that are quite close to Hartlepool play in the same league, get out of that league yeah. where you are you language for what is that a third season yeah. now? I think yes, Hartlepool have been in that league. Yeah. Um, but no, I, I did watch that. I did watch that game, and um, they scored. They, they were just they were just at Notts County from the very start. Yeah. Um, scored two early goals, and it was never really. In, I mean, they, Notts County scored just after half time, but yeah. Hartlepool just got right. Sorry, Harrogate, <laughs> sorry, uh, got right back on them, and yeah. uh, it was it, it was just a, really nice to see. And um, that, that's what you have to sort of realise that they're playing like teams to drop out of the. The football league, like Hartlepool, Hartlepool are were always a small team, even for whatever kind of league they were playing in. And now, to be honest, they are kind of like we're not we're not the biggest team in the um in the in the sort of national league. Um, and and teams like Notts County um are in the the national league as well. And for Harrogate's, and you, so you just look at the sort of like the the uh, Harrogate next season are going to have to play at, at at Doncaster for the first section of the season while they while they replace their their sort of artificial pitch. Um, yeah. And and because and they've got an artificial pitch, not because of any sort of like advantage that they've got. They've got an artificial pitch because they rent it out to local community sort of groups uh, to to make some more, some extra money. And that's yeah. why they've got a three G pitch. It's like an investment for them. Um, yeah. So that's the kind of level that they're kind of working out. They're having to they rent out their pitch, not 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 their tra- not their training ground, not their facilities, their actual pitch that they play football on on a Saturday. They rent out. They were renting out that to make some extra money, and now they've kind of like moved into the premier, uh, moved into the football league. It's a really good, really good story. And like I mentioned last week, uh, or like I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, and like you mentioned last week about Hamilton, um, it's good to see well-run clubs with the you know that can perform well in in the league. And you know, hopefully, if Hartlepool United can get things on an even keel, we've had some sizing this week. You know. Hopefully, um, hopefully we can be talking about Hartlepool sort of making a similar sort of step step up. Uh, in- Let's hope so, James. Yeah. Let's hope Thanks. so. That's good. Good to hear. Yeah. Cool. So that leads us just to uh, European football, the conclusion of the 2019-2020 Europa League and uh, Champions League are, mm-hmm. are taking place over the next sort of couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, in the last over the last two days, the Europa League has been completed. Manchester United uh, beat LASK two one last night to go through seven one on aggregate. Uh, and tonight, Rangers went down one nil in Germany to Bayer Leverkusen, so went out four uh, one on aggregate, which I think was a bit harsh on Rangers. I think yeah. they've uh, their um, their Europa League campaign lasted, I think it was three hundred and ninety seven days, yeah. uh, because they played in the first qualifying round in July last year so I think it's the longest run of any club in a European competition um, in terms of days Uh, I think Rangers both Rangers and Celtic had uh, I think the the Europa League regardless of what their their fans may tell you I think the the Europa League is really their level um, which has been proven I mean Celtic got some really good results against Lazio and and stuff which was nice to see Rangers uh, similarly um, but I think uh, they can be really proud of it. I don't think this game is a particular priority. I think everything with for Rangers this season is about stopping 10 in a row. Yeah. Um, but to get a run in Europe. So the other thing is Wolves have just beaten Olympiacos 1-0. So they go through 2-1 in aggregate, which is wonderful for Wolves in as much as they are now in the quarterfinal of the Europa League yeah. against Seville. Yeah. But what it means is that 
Scotland will now now sit in fifteenth place in the, the European League. So the coefficient points that have been accumulated by Rangers and Celtic now means that in the twenty one twenty two season, which is next season, uh, Rangers and Celtic, or sorry, Scotland will have two representatives uh, in the Champions League and three representatives in the Europa League. Yeah. So where currently we have one and three. So uh, that is really encouraging the the. So the, the run that Rangers and Celtic have been on have had some real uh, advancements so we can get two teams into the Champions League again, uh, which would be really nice to see. So the Europa League is sort of in the quarterfinal stage now. What we have to look forward to in the next couple of days, James, is Chelsea and Manchester City have still got their ties to complete. So yeah. Manchester City uh, are playing Real Madrid mm-hmm. uh, with a 2-1 advantage mm-hmm. and Chelsea go to Bayern Munich 3-0 down from the first leg in uh, at Stamford Bridge so what do you think is going to happen with these two who's going to get through or do you think any of them will or I'm going to stick my neck out and say that um, Chelsea you know having you know being 3-0 down and having suffered two injuries uh, at the weekend I don't think Chelsea will go through you know you and you can quote me on that as well I don't think Chelsea Excellent. Um, but I I do think that I think Man City will, will do it I think that um, although uh, Real Madrid did win the have won the title um, yeah, they kind of almost limped over the line. There were a lot of one nil wins. A lot of uh, didn't Ramos score sort of three or four penalties? I think in one nil win. Yeah, there was a lot of. And he's out of the he's out of the second leg. So I I do think Man City, who seem to be apart from that freak game against uh, Southampton where they had thirty shots or something and didn't somehow managed to lose one nil. Um, I think Man City will will win that game. Well, they are two. They are two, They won two one in yeah, yeah. at the Bernabeu, didn't they? So they they have quite an advantage there but I think that the thing is Manchester City tend to bottle it in Europe a little bit don't they they just don't seem to be able to get over the line when it matters um, and given the fact that they're playing one of the best teams in the world may be uh, may be interesting I think so the other just for to, the other two games that they completed Juventus against Leon go to Juventus with a 1-0 advantage uh, that game's tomorrow and then Barcelona and Napoli are 1-1 so that game is at the new Camp on Saturday um, and then we start moving into the quarterfinals um, sort of later on next week mm-hmm. uh, which will be quite interesting once how all that shakes out so we think we have, to be honest, I can't see past Man City I think they're going to go through so who, who, are your, who do you think is going to win the Champions League this season let's put your, your neck on the line for that I'm, I'm, I'm happy to say that I, I, Man City are the team to Team to beat. Oh really? You think they're gonna think they're gonna do it? Um, so I'm, I'm, how Juventus, um, if Juventus get through, they also kind of stumbled over the line, but they also did win the title. They were quite clear quite early on, and they kind of like stumbled over the line, but knowing that they had already won the title. Um, so I think I do think it's Man City seem to be the team in form, and they seem to have they seem to be playing flowing football, and you know, uh, almost having this game against Real Madrid will give them give them an extra game to sort of warm up almost, which is strange to say about a Real Madrid match, but. It gives them an extra game to sort of get some cobwebs out. Yeah. So yeah, I, I, I do think Man City are the, are the the team that. Well, yeah, they're they're my pick basically, Man City. So I have have a BT Sports subscription, um, which obviously now that I've lost Scottish football, um, I was considering maybe ending. But given just the huge amount of European football that's going to be on that channel over the next month or so, I think I'm just going to keep a hold of it for another month, you know. And uh, I'd say tonight, for example, I've, I've managed to I watch Rangers Leverkusen and then uh, sort of Wolverhampton against Olympiacos, which is quite nice just having football on the telly. So I think I'll keep it to see how this Champions League situation. So I, I 
I think Juventus are my are going to be my tip. I think if they can get past Leon and overturn that one now, which I think they will do, um, then I think Juventus are my, are my tip for the Champions League this season. And, and the, uh, mainly because I just don't want Man City to uh, win. So. And and the Europa League, who 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 be your pick in the uh, in there? Uh, Inter Milan. Yeah, I am. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm going to go for a, a, a Manchester double. I reckon. Ooh, interesting. I, I do think Bruno Fernandez was the player almost of the last half of the season. Um, but And it did look like they were slightly running out of steam towards the end of that, that sort of front three that looked... So if you think about... I think Crystal Palace game was like the highlight where they kind of all seemed to be firing. Uh, Greenwood and uh, and Martial and Rashford and uh, Fernandes in behind them and Paul Pogba. Since then, it, they kind of like played the same team for like six games in a row and seemed to sort of take something out of the legs that... Hopefully this this little gap that they've had. So even though they played last night, I think they played a pretty much a B team last night, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. There was like McTominay was playing and like different stuff. Yeah, I like a good two weeks um, off, and I do think that that will just give them a little bit more, a little bit more spring the step. And then I think I think Man United will be or win the UEFA Cup for the second time in four years or something. Oh, well, see, they've got they've got Copenhagen. Yeah, and then they'll play and they're in the semi final. I think, won't they? I think if that's how it works. But uh, they should they should have Copenhagen. Yeah. They put Celtic out. Yeah. Um, which was really disappointing because mm-hmm. Celtic should have had enough to, to win that, yeah. uh, to beat that team, which which was really disappointing. Um, but yeah, excellent. So um, that brings us to the end of the football chat for the week. Dave, uh, I, I really need to find a present for my mate and I, I really just can't find anything. Well, it depends. What does he like? I, re- I really don't know. I, I, know, I, know he like, I know he likes sci-fi and he's, he's pretty obsessed by aliens. Like, do you know anywhere that I can look? Well, have you checked out Zonks the Alien on uh, Etsy? No, no. What is it? Well, Etsy has a website with loads of interesting stuff on it, especially if you're a sci-fi fan. Zonks the Alien, cool t-shirts, alien stuff, badges. There's a rad alien pack that has everything you could possibly need for the sci-fi lover in your life. That that sounds ideal. Where is it again? Zonks the Alien, all one word, on Etsy. You can also follow his adventures on Twitter at Zonks the Alien. Dave, that is brilliant. You're a lifesaver. So, this is the part that... Yes, if we have to, if we have to, yes, James, we if we, we have to, yeah. we do have to talk about cricket. So, th- like, I think last week we were we were quite uh, quite upbeat. We just yeah, completed yeah. Uh, a two one series win over West Indies. Um, we were one nil up against Ireland in the one day series. Mm-hmm. Um, since then, England won the second of those ODIs quite convincingly yeah. against Ireland. So. That brings us to Tuesday night. <laughs> so England go in to the third One Day International against uh, Ireland, who they have. Let's be honest; they well beat them in the first in the first two. Um, England went into bat and set Ireland a score of three hundred and twenty-eight, which mm-hmm. um, which included a, a wonderful century uh, from uh, Captain Owen Morgan um, and a very kind of um, Sort of fifty-one ball fifty from uh, Tom Banton, which was nice to see. Uh, Willie kicked in with fifty. Tom Curran hit thirty-eight. Um, so, like to be honest, I, I saw England had hit three hundred and twenty-eight. I went to work and I didn't think anything more about it. Yes. And then uh, one of the lads came in later on and he's like, Dave, have you seen the score? And I'm like, what? And it's like, Ireland are 121 not out. And I'm like, yes. what? Yeah. And uh, so then <laughs> checked again because uh, obviously we're quite busy at work and the, the lad asks, what's the score? So I goes in 
I was like, you're not going to believe this. And he's like, what was it? I was like, he 27 runs for 21 balls. Yeah. And he's like, what? He's like, how many wickets? I was like, they've only lost three wickets. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, so I, th- I think the rest is history. So Ireland got over the line for a stunning uh, seven-wicket win. So th- what went wrong? I think, well, so what, what happened in the first two games, what happened is England had bowled pretty well. And, and kept Ireland down to quite low scores and then had struggled slightly to get there, but had basically been able to chase those scores down quite quite easily. Um, in this match, they they went the other way around. And and one of the strengths of England over the last four, four or five years, since since they kind of became a, a, a great sort of one-day team, is they've been able to chase down pretty much any score. And they've their batting has been, has been beyond reproach. They've basically they've set world records of... Of number of sort of runs that they scored, and they kind of peaked. They, to be honest, they kind of peaked in their batting about a year before the um, the World Cup. Sort of in the middle of like twenty eighteen, they were. So I think we should caveat the fact that Stokes, yes, okay. um, Root, mm-hmm. and uh, Butler, who would all and Ash Archer, I guess as well, would all play if you know. But if they weren't with the Test team, so but yeah, so but, but, they should still have enough to beat Ireland. Yeah, also yeah. So, so kind of what happened is they, they did kind of score the score runs, but then for various reasons, it was the bowling attack that let them down, which has actually been that actually was an issue. So before the World Cup, and then with Archer coming in, it, it kind of tied it all together, and it seemed like the bowling unit was was sort of as potent as the batting unit. Um, however, like you said, um, uh, Stokes. You know, uh, he still contributes as, as a bowler in, in ODIs usually. And Archie yeah. and Mark Wood are two of the most sort of attacking uh, options that you could possibly ever want in a, an ODI match. That they've got, they keep it tight, but they they really can unsettle batsmen, even if there's nothing happening on the pitch. And it felt like with when Ireland were kind of sort of strolling, just they were going over after over without sort of looking like losing a wicket, and then. You, you want to throw the ball to a really fast bowler, and um, who's the? It was is it Mahmood, the um, the young bowler that they've got? Yeah, Mahmood. Yeah, yeah. He um, he didn't um, he didn't like quite wasn't quite able to do it. Um, so I think I think and I think that's kind of what happened. Um, um, Owen Morgan went off injured as well, so it was like like uh, Moeen Ali was kind of the, like the, the vice captain. He kind of like yeah, yeah, stepped up, and it just didn't quite work really. It's like it just kind of like drifted along, and and Ireland just kept going, kept going, kept going, and they eventually kind of made it. And of course, of course, England were also missing the um, the the uh, the best bowler from the uh, from the, the World Cup final and the World Cup semi final. The ODIs, the bowler who produced the best figures, of course, uh, Chris Wokes. Um, he was, he was missing. I, I think you need to. Uh, I think you need to sort of anything you mentioned, Chris Wokes. That you need to say, sporty Usher's favourite. <laughs> yeah, Chris Wokes. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um. So. So yeah, so England fall to a, a humbling uh, defeat. Mm-hmm. Um, which you know, it, it is great that that a team like Ireland are getting to play the sort of test teams okay. now. Well, England are world champions as well. Like, let's not forget that. So that was it was for the sport in general. It was it was nice to see. Mm-hmm. Um, so do you know what we didn't have long. You know, things were looking up because at ten, that finished at what ten thirty on Tuesday night, yeah. eleven o'clock, eleven o'clock on Wednesday morning. James, we are uh, we're starting a test series with yes. Pakistan. Yes. So England go into the test series with Pakistan mm-hmm. um, unchanged from yeah. the third test um, with uh, West the West Indies. So they have they kept the same uh, bowling unit. They decided to keep Jack Crawley on the sidelines um, and go with Bess. Archer, Broad, and Anderson. Yeah. Um, ben Stokes still isn't bowling, although I think that may change in the second innings if things are close, which, let's be honest, they don't look like they're going to be. But um, 
So things got off to a decent start the day before Bad Light stopped play. Um, but today, it just it was it was a strange day. Now, I have a I have a, a had a day off today, and I have a subscription to Sky Sports. Mm-hmm. I also have two very young children who are not at school, so I essentially was in the kitchen listening to TMS. So England got off to the, the probably the best start when they when they got Barbara Zamo in the first over of the day, yes. um, which was fantastic. Um, then they kind of they, they kind of got their, their wickets in clumps, yeah. um, and I think we we need to talk about Masood and that was a majestic one hundred and fifty six. Yeah, like so we were talking about. Uh, the fact that Sibley could probably put together a sort of real sort of tough mm-hmm. um, sort of opening stand, yeah. whereas, yeah. Uh, so 156 off 319 balls, he was at a crease for 470 minutes. Yeah. Uh, and it, he essentially just, but the, the, he just watched every single player go out yeah. before him. Yeah. Uh, and it was just a great performance. Um, but, our bowlers kind of like Wokes did well when he came on for spells. Archer did well for spells, um, but there just wasn't any real consistency. Um, yeah, and then so, I, I, I just you talk about the bat because it makes me too angry. I was going to say it was when it was sort of like England got the wickets in the first sort of session of the, of today of, of day two kind of thing. With them, um, it was kind of like some really tight bowling and Anthony Broad doing rolling back the years again and doing what they do best, um, and then. And they, they kind of like took a few wickets, and England seemed to be sort of getting on top. And then um, they made a decision to have sort of Dom Best bowling and Joe Root kind of bowling is, is sort of like part time off spin. And basically, the runs started to flow, and that's when the game really turned against England. And uh, that's when uh, that's when um, Masood started scoring runs like quicker. Um, so that was where like um, that was where it kind of like the game kind of seemed to get away from England because because even with him scoring runs, it still looked like they weren't going to get much. Much higher than like 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 two seventy five maybe sort of two two eighty so three hundred was kind of the, the top limit and they've, they went past that and they really kind of like like put themselves in a really strong position and then and then having made batting look not easy but you know making England playing four seam balls you expect to sort of to be slightly more cutting edge than they were um, they then reduced England to twelve for three um, and after we gave them the the sport yushers kind of like like um, yeah. seal of approval last week. Um, both of the openers were out LBW, um, and then Ben Stoke got bowled. And to be twelve for three is yeah, it's pretty much a nightmare. Especially when you were, when you have basically dropped a batsman to um to yeah. extra bowler, you need your you need your opening batsman to, to really dig in. And and um I think um we are relying very much on a uh, on Ollie Pope again to uh, to get us kind of like out of the situation. Um, he managed to do it in the in the um. It was in the in the third test, wasn't it? Him and yeah, he does. really scored a lot of runs, and and Pope's on. Uh, he just shy of his, his his half century, and hopefully it isn't like um, it isn't like the last the the third the third test where he was he was on ninety odd, wasn't he, overnight, and then he ended up getting out before he got. His- he won, I think it was. So there's there's four things that uh, that are irk- that are irking me uh, and. <laughs> over the last two days, and yeah. I'm hoping you can clear them up for us because, as much as I love cricket, I'm still I'm still learning a lot about the game as as I go on. Um, but there's there's some things that are obvious even to me now. I've I've we've had this conversation about Joe Root before, yeah. Um, and like since he's became captain, I, he he infuriates me in a lot of ways that <laughs> he still bats like he's just a batsman, yeah. 
And when you're England captain and you're the best batsman of the team, I mean, arguably now with Ben Stokes, but say for like, he is still the best batsman of the team, his responsibility isn't to, especially when your your openers have gone in the first, you're two for twelve for two after you know the first few overs, mm-hmm. he comes in at three. Right, he has to then dig in. Mm-hmm. He has to then make sure he doesn't give his wicket away. He has to make sure that he, whoever his partner is, whether it's Ben Stokes or whether it's Ollie Pope, he's the senior guy. He's got to be the guy who, like, but what? I know it's a different form of the game. But what Ben Stokes did uh, against Sri Lanka in the World Cup, when he basically he took the ball, it's like uh, when, whenever. You know, uh, when Malinga was bowling, he's like, right, just you let me take that. I'll take him. I'll take the responsibility. And he gave his wicket away today. Mm-hmm. It was a poor decision. A poor like Ben Stokes. Fine, you get bowled. There's nothing you can do about it. And you know, they gave us a lesson in pace bowling today. Oh yeah, and um, and like. Root should have known better than to play that shot. I'm like, what are you thinking? You've got a 21 year old lad down the other end of the the, the wicket who's batting better than you and you're the guy that's supposed to be taking the responsibility yeah. and it just winds me up and it has done for years yeah. and like so like what's he thinking what, like, put yourself in his position and like why isn't why isn't he taking that responsibility on his shoulders there, like Ben Stokes seems to do yeah there, there is there is sort of an idea of um th- th- sorry there was an idea in English in English cricket and especially in the batsman of um we're, we're uh, in national cricket. It's very, very hard. Um, there's going to be a ball with your name on it. You're going to get out soon. While you're in, make the most of it. And that's and it, it, it worked a great success for Kevin Peterson. You know, it, yeah. it, it did work. Uh, and um, it then sort of started to break down when people like Moeen Ali, sort for example, is is kind of a good example of this. Of you don't always. You, sometimes you have to play the situation. And and over the last sort of eighteen months since sort of Chris Silverwood came in as man, as sort of the head coach, um, there has been sort of a much more practical kind of pragmatic a- a- approach. However, Joe Root does still seem to have a bit of the um, bit of the old kind of like methodology still slightly ingrained in him. He, he still wants to play shots. And it, and, it, and it is part of his game. And it, he is the, the shot maker. He is like a fluent middle-order batsman. Um, but occasionally it does go wrong. And if you, if you don't think about... Um, think about the... Um, well, the, the first innings of the third test where he got run out. And yeah. He, part of his game is to... To keep the to keep the scoreboard ticking over, and he's he's doing that to keep the sort of run rate up and everything. So I do see why he's trying to do it at a certain points, but not when you are batting with yeah. Uh, basically, the last remaining batsman is down the other end, a kid down the other end, and you're it, it, it is time to sort of put away the dra- put away the, the kind of the big shots and just you know put, yeah. you, you don't don't look for boundaries for a couple of for a couple of overs basically. You know, he, I think he, he he batted for like an hour and a half, but that's not that's not a particularly long time to be. No, it's not. To, 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 to bat and get frustrated and get yourself out. Um, yeah. So the, the other thing like is now you're looking to Ollie Pope to save the test. Mm-hmm. Or, well, to save I did save a test match, essentially, because if, if England don't make 250, right, yeah. then they're, they're going to be in trouble, yeah. even if even at that, which is looking unlikely at the minute. So you're looking at Ollie Pope, who's still young, mm-hmm. You're looking at Josh Butler, who you're now asked to fight every instinct that yeah. this guy has yeah. to try and grind out for bat for mm-hmm. 500 minutes or however long it is. Yeah. And see, Butler is a destructive batsman, and that's what he's there for. Mm-hmm. Joe Root, if you, and it, yeah, I get the fact that he doesn't want to bat at three. I understand that, but that's what you have to do. And sometimes when you're the leader of you need to put aside what your instincts are and do what's best yeah. for the team and who's following you. And again, he didn't do that. Yeah, and um, I think he's listen. He's a lovely guy, and he's a you know he's a he's a great player. 
but I still think history won't remember him as a great captain. I don't think. Absolutely. Um, I, I will. So we kind of mentioned jo- uh, Josh Butler. Um, I, um, I, I'm, I'm not alone in thinking that maybe Ben Ben Folks would be an option to have kind of looked at. And I don't understand that Butler did score so like heavily and, and sort of helped win the game. To be honest, in the in the third, so, yeah, uh, against West Indies, but he did drop kind of two. He dropped them. Uh, uh, Mahmoud, uh, Mahoud, uh, twice yeah. on his way to sort of 150, uh, and he, uh, there's another drop as well. So you've got like the best, you're one of the best wicket keepers on the on the kind of sidelines, and, and I do think that maybe having a having a drop or deciding to drop Zach Crawley means that you do go with the the, uh, the slightly more proven Butler as a batsman rather than uh, Ben Folks as a, a slightly unknown quantity. But Ben Folks is the kind of steady kind of batsman that maybe we could be looking at. That we could yeah. we want in this sort of situation. Maybe he's, maybe he's not going to score. Um, you know, maybe he's not the guy to score fifty runs in in half an hour to sort of swing the momentum of a game. But is that the only? Is that what you need off a of a batsman? You know, yeah. number six. You know, the the chance to win your games is really good. But you know, first inning, like first innings, basically are are the innings that that stop you losing game. Uh, and I, I I think I'd feel a, a bit more confident if it was. Pope and folks in at the minute rather than Butler and yeah, yeah. So that's my one. That's one of my frustrations. Uh, my second is um, is well, it's not this one isn't a frustration. This is more um, like just to get your thoughts on it now. Um, I, I think it was uh, it was Michael Vaughan who was talking about it on on TMS about potentially um, we, we should have potentially went with Jack. Yes, because he is a left-handed mm-hmm. um, spinner. And obviously the Pakistani batsmen are all right-handed, uh, so would he have had more of an advantage bowling to them? So that question, if you just back burner that for a second, so points two and three are kind of together. So and the other thing is, why was Don Best bowling so much yesterday when the pitch was doing absolutely nothing for him? And so he was just he's just getting smashed about, and he's still again he's still relatively yeah. young. And what's that going to do if he's confident? Yeah. I mean, this is this this isn't the West Indies we're playing. This Pakistan team are destructive. They've got great batsmen, and I don't really understand. First of all, why Leach wasn't in in the first place, and then why was Don Best bowling so much yesterday on a pitch that yeah. was doing nothing? I, so, if you can unpack that for us, uh, you know, put, put my selector hat on again. I, that I, is I, it. Yes, I think, is, I think the issue we come back to is Don Best gets in over Jack Leach because of his batting. I think that is the reason. And yes. Especially when Crawley's not playing, and I understand. The yeah. the kind of to be honest, the, the shocking thing is that that Don Best Don Best should not be more than twenty overs in the first innings of any match, unless we're talking like a, a pitch where it's turning sideways or something. And especially if you've sort of changed the setup of your team, changed the basic structure of your team to play four bowlers, he shouldn't be sort of an option that you're sort of looking to turn to. Um, and and to, to be honest, to be honest, the um, if if you do look at the the sort of the 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 Pakistan sort of scorecard. There, um, there were. There's only sort of three batsmen who kind of scored any runs, and it could have been so much better with just a little bit of sort of tying up. And and that's why, like they said, it felt like England have kind of thrown an extra sort of fifty runs at Pakistan by having like 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 Joe Root, for example. Like so 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 this is slightly off. Um, Joe Root kind of bowls six overs that went for twenty five runs. There's, there's no need for Joe yeah. to be bowling bowling uh, uh, in a team that you've got. When you've got so, was he is he only bowling 
because he's the only bowler because Stokes isn't. Well, well, that's thing, but, or, but you shouldn't. But you should be managing. You've got four fast bowlers. You should be able to manage them and rotate them enough that that they that they don't need. You, you, you don't need to be having someone filling. Like if if John Beck bowling yeah. or Joe Root are bowling because of the pitch is really doing something, then that's that's one thing. But if you're doing that, then maybe you only if you're doing that, then you play three seam bowls and you play two spinners if that's what you want to do, and you you play a Jack Leach. Uh, in in this yeah. team, rather than a a, a, a wokes uh, as much as I much as I don't do, what, I know what I know, but but and and part of me hmm, I, I don't know if I worry about it but part of me does think that as great as it was to see Stuart Broad come out all fired up and you know give his sort of interviews to the media and then come back I wonder if that is that going to make England a bit gun shy of making sort of tough decisions yeah maybe <laughs> well I think this this is going to be because I th- I think we've we've had a bit we. As I say, two one against West Indies. It should have been three nil. Um, they, you know, were uh, they, as 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 much heart as they had and stuff. England were, were just better in pretty much every area. Um, this this is a very 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 different team that they're playing now. Um, and you know, rightly or wrongly, and obviously want England to win and stuff. It's just, just Pakistan are just great to watch, aren't they? Um, just of how they just approach the game, and, and it, it's good to have a strong. World cricket needs a strong Pakistan as much as mm-hmm. as anything. Um, but it doesn't help when you're watching Masood smash oh, yeah. the ball around. Um, and, say, um, basically, to be honest, the reason why I don't best ball so much yesterday is the ridiculous situation of there being bad light around um, in the middle of the afternoon yesterday. Right, right, right. That, so the, you know, the idea is that, you, you, that you're not. There's, there's sort of like almost a gentleman's agreement that when there's bad light, the, the the umpires will let you play on if you kind of don't have fast bowlers bowling because it kind of takes away any sort of danger of of the batsman not seeing the ball. So instead of so England decided to play on and have done best bowling when he wasn't really needed to, and that kind of like really sucked a lot of momentum out of the out of the game. Go ahead, Dave. <laughs> right. So this is the thing now. So cricket gets a bad rap. Um, particularly in yeah. my homeland, um, one for it being boring, which that's just mm. a just a misunderstanding of how the sport works because it, it's just not boring at all if you you know what you're looking for. Um, but it is viewed as quite stuffy, um, quite elitist, quite posh, and again, unbelievable. I mean, players like um, Andrew Flintoff, um, Darren Goff to a lesser extent. Hogarth, you know, uh, Harmison, essentially that Ashes team from uh, Hogarth, sorry, who's Hogarth? I don't even know who that is. Yeah, Matthew Hogarth, sorry. Um, Like those guys, or essentially that team, you know, uh, that that sort of captured the Ashes after 18 years and stuff, they were just, you know, especially Freddie Flintoff, like hanging off the bus, steaming and saying, go to to down the street without being in bed for two days and stuff like that, you know. but one of the things, I just don't understand things. Now, the one thing I, that frustrates me the most is coming off for bad light, right? Now, you've got floodlights, you have day-night yeah. test matches, you've got uh, one-day internationals that start at two o'clock. So the England-Ireland game is a perfect example. That finished at half-past ten at night, right? So how, how are you playing at half-past ten at night and then you're off at three o'clock because, oh, it's a bit mm-hmm. dull outside? I'm like, what? And I get it's all to do with the colour of the ball and stuff, but then you've got day-night test matches in Australia all the time. They play with a pink ball. 
So, like, why not change the ball? I mean, is, is that oversimplifying it a little bit? And if you're trying to make your sport more accessible, which, to be honest, cricket have done a great job of. Like, the 2020 has been a just absolutely brilliant innovation for the sport. It's brought loads of money into it. It's brought loads of exposure. It's brought loads of uh, new yeah. spectators. But then, like, the test match is the purest form of the game. It should be the pinnacle Um and you're going off at three o'clock now. There's no, there's no crowds in, in Old Trafford today, right? But if there's thirty-five thousand people there, they've paid. What did, what did we pay when we went to the test match? Forty quid for a ticket or whatever it was, or fifty-five quid. And um, they say, all right, okay, sorry, I know you're supposed to be here at seven o'clock, but actually we're not playing because it's a bit dull outside. I mean, come on, man! You, like, and I get you, know, we're gentlemen. We don't want to throw up all at somebody and they might get hot and everything. Like, we'll change the ball, put the lights on. I mean, like, like so what is the what is the blocker? And like, why do we go off for bad light given all the innovations and in I the think game? As, just as now? well, obviously, there will be sort of situations where you know. Um, you, you're playing you, if you're in county cricket or whatever, and you're playing the match, and you know maybe the the floodlights aren't as good as you know that they they are to sort of illuminate the pitch. But th- these are test matches in, in test grounds that have been been specifically chosen because of their on on site facilities. They've known that these games were going to happen for well weeks and weeks, and and you do think surely you can like you know if you can play if you can play cricket at ten thirty, you know we've all been at football matches, and obviously the the balls a lot. <laughs> Was a lot different, but yeah, you know, football matches are played in the dark all the time. Um, and you, I've yeah. never, I've never, well, I was gonna say watching Harper, I've never seen a goalkeeper miss the ball, but I've seen, I've seen it plenty of times. Sure, but, you know, yeah, yeah. you never lose the like, no one's you don't see players running around not being able to see the ball in the middle of, in the, middle of the park. So, there must be sort of ways to illuminate the pitches properly. And yes, I know it's a bit, it's a bigger stadium, and you know, you can't have you can't have as an old that sort of behind the, the sort of you've got like sight screens and stuff so there are reasons why you can't have um floodlights all over the place but surely this was a game when you could have done something to make sure that the, the game that matches were played unless it's unless it starts raining and stuff um yeah well, that's different but so why don't they i mean so the, the one argument that um i think it was uh jonathan agnew was talking about this morning was like if there's however many overs 40 overs on a ball to then bring on a pink ball would be essentially getting a new ball earlier than you're supposed to, which I guess goes to the integrity of the game and everything. But if it means that the game doesn't stop, surely that's just something you deal with, you know, or something that you say, right, if we are trying to get people to come to this, right, so, like, and I imagine once, if you get, I mean, I think three o'clock, you're how many overs in, say 60 overs into the day, maybe, like, you you miss out on a third of your... Game, but you don't get a refund either. And like, if you're, su- you're supposed to be growing this sport to a new yeah. audience, and it's that, and I get in Test cricket when there's, uh, sorry, County cricket when there's fifteen people watching, but this isn't. This is a this is a Test match, an international Test match, which should have thirty five thousand people at it. And I just think they need to address that because, and, and especially someone who's relative, I say relatively new to the sport, I've probably watched for about ten years, probably seriously for ten years. Yeah. And it's the one thing that frustrates me the most. And I was I was listening to TMS on the way to work and I said, well, that's the players off for bad light. And I literally just, I was like, for God's sake, man, it's three o'clock yeah. in the day. Like, it's, it's just so frustrating. And uh, So what, what stops them changing the ball then, do you think? Oh, I, 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 I don't know. I, I really don't know. And there is a strange, it's, it's the purest, the purest one to protect, obviously, the, the literally the purity of, of, sort of test cricket. Um, but... Um, so one day cricket, they they kind of made a move where 
there's basically the, the, when when in cricket in one day cricket you basically have a new ball from both ends so instead of the ball lasting 25 uh, less lasting 50 overs it actually only lasts 25 overs and that's why um sort of scoring has sort of upped so much in the in the kind of the beginning sort of parts of innings and that kind of thing um and i'm not suggesting that you know test cricket because one of the, the sort of the the manipulation of the ball is one of the dark arts of cricket that you know is is that you know, i don't think anyone understands apart from the people who actually do it on the pitch um and that, that is sort of a skill in it in and of itself but i don't yeah. know if that is worth i don't know if that is worth protecting over the fact of you know we're, we're gonna have almost like farcical scenes of and to be honest apart from in england and and uh, australia no one watches test cricket you know if you watch any yeah. any of the cricket in the tip in the caribbean apart from the unless england are playing or Australia, there's no, there's no fans there, um. So I don't know what yeah. this. I, d I don't know what the benefits are of not, not trying, trying to innovate something. You know, d try and do something to, to. And, and if there's a problem with the pink ball, you know, if the, because there have been some of the day ma night matches have, have kind of produced some weird results where the the ball starts swinging at a certain time of day, so that mm -hmm. kind of thing. But you know, if if that's if that's your issue, get people to deal with it. You know, you it's it's people get used to it. It's because the pink ball is only an issue because um it it's it's not used as much. You know, give in twenty yeah. years time if we're looking back and saying no, no one's going to complain about a pink ball if it means that Test cricket is still around as opposed yeah, to being exactly. something that gets played once every four years when England, England and Australia match up. Um, yeah, so so I'm, I'm I'd be all for any sort of any sort of, any sort of innovation they could have, um, and I, I hope there is. I hope these sort of scenes do kind of like spark some sort of like 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 realization that that, that they do need to sort of make these sort of changes. Yeah. Okay, cool. So before we finish up, we'll just uh, quickly talk about the oh, yes. Bob Wells Trophy matches. So the first round of them were completed at yeah. the weekend. Um, I think probably you're looking at uh, Somerset. They kind of wrapped up their game really quickly, didn't they? Essex. They're the kind of two teams that probably have the least amount of players out of their squad, given the fact that county cricket's kind of decimated the fact that there's two England squads uh, on the there go at the a, minute. Uh, Johnny Besto is going to go into the Yorkshire squad, which is something I saw, because he's, he's, right. he's not been added back into the England Test squad, so he's going to move into Yorkshire, so he right. could be, in a way, I'm glad that he managed to get that, that. match out of the way, but um, I was thinking that there were quite a lot of good performances sort of over the... Um, over the uh, over the sort of opening week sort of of cricket, and I, what I was thinking is is perhaps you know to, to put a bit of a jeopardy, put a bit of excitement into the you know our kind of roundup. Um, I, I might okay. sort of like give my three best performances um, in uh, like in ten seconds. Um, you know. Ah, so now not only are we robbing from Josh Widdicombe, we're going to rob from Ken Bruce now uh, as well. Ken, no, I've never never heard of. Uh, so Ken Bruce is, uh, is the mid-morning DJ on Radio 2 of uh, men of a certain age uh, listen to Radio 2 and he does a quiz pop matter and uh, you've got to get three and ten. Radio 2? I, I, no, I think he called, I, it Radio 5 Live and there's Radio 1. I'd, I've, I've never heard of a, of a Radio 2 and this is, this, is something, uh, this is something totally new that I've come up with. It's called, um, it's called 10 for 3. Ah, oh, well, th th there you go. Then Ken Bruce's lawyers will be sitting back down again, I'm yeah, sure. So this is, uh, this is 10 for 3. Okay, go for it. Ten for three. So yeah, so this is my ten okay. for three. Habib scores two half centuries on Derby for Notts for his first runs in years. Both Overton brothers take five wickets each, and Sir Alistair Cook is still scoring runs for Essex. I don't know, that was thrilling. That was thrilling. So um 
James and I are regular visitors to the Riverside to watch our beloved Durham. So they got off to a pretty terrible start, actually, losing to Yorkshire, given the fact that uh, we were pretty much out in the first half hour, it felt like, didn't it? Um, in the first innings. And despite a, a decent second innings, Durham seemed to have no middle order whatsoever. Was, Alex um, did well. He scored, a, he scored a century, but it was... Yeah, it was... And and I would suggest anyone who's looking to follow the cricket this this kind of over this kind of short period, um, a lot of the clubs have got sort of live footage on their on their websites for for people to watch, like the column like match centers. And it's it, to be honest, it's 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 like a fixed camera behind each wicket, and when the ball goes off the pitch, you can't actually see whether the batsman hit it. Um, but it's it's kind of synced up with the commentary from the the local radio station, so it is it is quite fun to watch a little. I watched a little bit of the the Durham kind of second innings uh, and I saw the highlights of the first innings um, and to be honest the the Yorkshire bowling was very very good um, but it was just it was disappointing to see the kind of the, the regularity that the the, the, the the wickets fell with and uh, I, I don't know what we did in previous life to be English and Durham cricket fans but you know I think that yes. batting collapse is something that I'm going to have to get just, I'm just going to have to get used to I think we just accept this it thing yeah. could be a, it could be a re- re- repetition of a, a slightly disappointing batting performance that we that, that Durham kind of did quite well to sort of claw back in with their bowling and their second innings performance, but then it kind yeah. of second innings fell away and and Yorkshire kind of quite easily knocked off the runs that were needed to to win the match. So I think looking at our weekend cricket, so on Tuesday uh, Durham lost by six wickets yeah. to Yorkshire. Uh, on Tuesday evening, uh, England lost by seven wickets to Ireland. Um, and we are now on Thursday. Uh, England currently sit 92 for four against Pakistan going into day three, uh, with Pakistan 326 all out in the first innings. So, yeah, so that's fantastic. So, to, to go out on a light note, because we don't want to end on a downer, James, do we? So, I'm going to give you um, what they call a sideways look at cricket, you know, um, and I'm going to give you three things. Uh, that I noticed from the test match today. Um, and I'm going to ask you, what is the most ridiculous? <laughs> is it A, Shane Warne's hair? <laughs> is it B, Chris Wokes's Alice band? Or is it C, Stuart Broad's headband? Ooh, so it is It is a um, it is a, uh, a tough choice to make. Um, uh, Chris Wokes doesn't really have enough hair to possibly need an Alice band. Um, uh, Chris uh, Stuart Broad really really should have um, had his hair cut by now. Um, the how how the stupid he looks. Just remember that his his historic five hundredth wicket with the pictures being beamed around the world. You know all those pictures that are, that are preserved for 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 posterity um, are going to have him with yeah. a ridiculous um, hairband. Basically, not a headband; it's a hairband. Yeah. Um, yes, and indeed. Shane Warne, Shane Warne's hair. Well, what can I say? I think of the three, I think the most ridiculous thing is Shane Warne's teeth. That is. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do you know what the thing is? I love listening to Shane Warne. I love it. He's um, he did a really interesting yeah. Yeah. sort of breakdown of Don Bess's um, sort of bowling techniques, and he's like, "Well, if he does this, he does this," and he continues to do the same thing. And just as soon as like Shane Warne stopped talking, Don Bess took yeah. a wicket, and I was like, "Ah, oh, fantastic!" So um, brilliant. Okay, well, that's going to do it for another episode of the Sporty yes. Ushers, James. Pleasure as always, oh, my friend. Thank you, Dave. Yeah, it's, it's been you know uh, there's been some um, uh, hard hard stuff this week. But, you know, it's, it's always a pleasure to recount the week uh, with you. Absolutely. Well, hopefully next week we'll be talking about an England win, although I'm not confident. Uh, but uh, we will be back next week with more sporty ushers. Thank you very much.
outstanding. My God, it's one o'clock in the morning. Kelly's going to kill me. <laughs>